according to Matthew. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. We hear a lot about the economy these days, so I'm going to talk about the economy. The economy of God is not the same as the world's economy. The economy of God is about a system of ethical, intentional management of resources. Whereas when we say economy today, our worldly vision thinks more about production and consumption and overall wealth as success or failure. In God's economy, there's enough for all, and more importantly, there's room for those who have been left behind, room for those whom we call marginalized. And we hear this over and over in scripture because in Jesus' day, there were those who were thought, um, thought to be blessed and there were those uh, who were not so blessed. And these people sometimes you'd say, oh, they're cursed or they're unclean is more, more the uh, reaction. That person is unclean, so stay away. There was disparity. 
And if you were a widow, you had zero resources. If you were an orphan or disabled or in some um, of the myriad of ways that one was deemed to be impure, you were an outcast or often you were destitute. God must not favor you, therefore. In Jesus' day, the thought was that there has to be a reason for your bad situation in life. Either you or your family must have done something wrong. Remember the story of the blind man since birth in the Gospels and, and the people around him say, well, his parents must have done something wrong. That's why he's been blind since birth. Yet, Jesus goes to him and heals him. Today, we have this famous section of scripture from the prophet Micah. Micah is saying to the people of Israel, oh, you have this ritual sacrifice that you do before God. I'm, I'm paraphrasing now. And, and back in the day, there were these offerings that were called burnt offerings, where you would literally sacrifice an animal and burn the entire animal that you were sacrificing. Ideally, the animal that you were sacrificing would be used for food or shared as a source of sustenance for those who were hungry. Doing the ritual itself in and of itself isn't what's important. So I think about our worship activities. Now, luckily and thankfully, we don't sacrifice animals. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here and neither would you. But what does our ritual mean if we aren't connecting our worship to the caring for the world? It means nothing if we are talking the talk and not walking the walk. So Micah is warning the people and telling them that the Lord, what the Lord requires of humankind do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. This is God's economic model. The number one topic that Jesus talks about in Scripture is the kingdom of God. The second most brought up topic that Jesus uh, brings about in Scripture is the economy. Jesus talks about how power and money and possessions are used to oppress, exclude, and marginalize others. He, he overturns tables in the temple. He tells parables about, about the importance of the tiny little mustard seeds and, and the widow's might and the precious pearl and all of those parables. And the workers who, only get, who get paid for a full day for a, after only working a portion of the day. And how many times does Jesus say that the first shall be last and the last shall be first? Jesus inverts the power structure structures. Everything for Jesus is about God's economy versus the world's economy as it is. So Jesus, you know, uh, in our day and age, Jesus would seem very political, but his is a politics of freedom and justice for all, and that shouldn't be political in, in any way, shape, or form. That's a matter of, of ethics. 
So he uses king language because the king, of course, was the one who could free those who were captives, and a king could control the economic well-being of the people as well. In fact, a king could erase debt. Now, scholars say that the world's economy at the time of Jesus was an economy of extraction, where a concentrated power served to extract wealth from vulnerable people in order to transfer it to even more powerful people. And this happened through mainly what we would call predatory means, high interest rates, cheap labor, and in Jesus's time, vulnerable people were left hopeless and enslaved by debts they could never repay, and it was an endless cycle of indentured servitude. Think of the way tax collectors are despised in the Gospels. They didn't just, you know, they weren't just like the IRS where they collected taxes. They profited and they took more than they were supposed to and they took advantage of those who were vulnerable and they took advantage of their own people. And many people were not able to break free from the weight of their debts. That was the economy in Jesus's world. God's economy, on the other hand, is an invitation that says, Come to me, all ye that travail and are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. That is God's economy. Now, the irony here is that Matthew, our evangelist for today, who writes in his gospel about the good news, which includes the Beatitudes that we just heard in the gospel reading, was a tax collector. Matthew was once one of the most despised among his people. He also was one of the ones who profited from this economy of extraction and exploitation. Now look at Matthew. He adopts the teaching of the Beatitudes and the wider Sermon on the Mount, which the Beatitudes is part of, which turn the values of extraction and exploitation just on its head, upside down. Those with power and goods and all the things you can want in the world are not always the most blessed unless, unless they are believers of the kingdom way, that vision or the dream that is God's alternative world and original plan for creation. Now, Jesus's three-year ministry uh, before, from, from when he was baptized to when he was crucified, was all about the kingdom of God. Right? He talks about that a lot. So his healings, um, the actions, the words he spoke, all that he did was to promote and actualize the kingdom of God, to give us a foretaste, to show us literally the way to participate in a changed and, and more beautiful world both here and now and yet to come. So what does beatitude mean? It means blessing. It means blessing. And here's the important thing. The beatitudes that we hear in the gospel reading are not a prescription. They're a promise. Jesus is not telling us that we need to be poor in spirit or persecuted or suffering in grief. The Beatitudes are a proclamation that those who are poor in spirit, the meek, the persecuted, and so on, are included into the kingdom of God. They are blessed as well. No more exclusion and persecution in the name of God. 
that is no longer valid because that is not what God is asking us to do. We are not to torment, exclude, or extract from those more vulnerable. The kingdom requires inclusion, which includes justice and hopefulness and compassion. And the more that we invest in God's economy, the more we will inherit and manifest the values of what the prophet Micah is talking about and what the Beatitudes are proclaiming today. We are to live in simplicity and hopefulness and compassion. Now, the news headlines when I woke up yesterday morning uh, were this, a brutal beating, cries for his mom, a 23-minute delay in aid. This, of course, regarding the beating death of Tyree Nichols that we all saw on television. And for those around the nation who watched the release of the video of the beating by several officers, you could blatantly see the complete disregard for justice and fairness or anything resembling humanity. You just don't treat people that way. What got me, though, was this young man lying on the ground not knowing why they were attacking him, a young man crying out for his mom. He literally was being attacked in the same neighborhood where he lived and where his mom lived. And he was crying out for his mom, literally a cry for his mom to help him. Mom, mom, come find me, come save me. This is, a, this is a young man who was over six feet tall, 140 pounds. He's, he's a, he was a, a, a slender guy, not a big beefy guy, causing a lot of problems. And there you had five officers who were like over 200 pounds at least, you know, trying to pin him to the ground and kicking him and hitting him as if he was not a real human being. And as a parent and as a mother, I know that I would do anything to rescue my child from harm. And to think now that this poor mother was around the corner and is now forever going to live this nightmare knowing that she could have helped her son live if only she had heard his cries. The what if is so heartbreaking. And how many of us who are parents have heard the distant cry of a child crying out, Mom or Dad, and we instinctively turn, our head, instinctually turn our head as if it was our child. Because when we hear a cry for Mom or Dad, even though we know it's not our own child, we fall into that, that, that position of readiness. It's our instinct, right? I'm here. I'm here. What do you need? Are you hurt? Is something wrong? M Mommy's here. Daddy's here. Don't worry. Tyree's cry for his mom will haunt his mother forever and haunt humanity forever. There was no hope, there was no compassion, there was no humanity, there was only power of a twisted nature. In scripture, God is given the qualities of a parent. Our Father who art in heaven and so forth. God as parent we are God's children, and there's a reason for this because God as parent is a way to articulate the kind of love and instinctual will to save and protect his children who are suffering and crying out to be rescued. Jesus walked the earth to show us what we need to do and how we need to be in order to quell suffering. 
Jesus also walked this earth to save us from our lack of interest in a God who is more abundant and more transformative than we are willing to be. For Matthew's community, as in our own lives, we are overly aware that the present condition of the world is far, far from resembling God's purpose. Blessed are those who mourn is not a command to mourn and live a life of suffering, but it is a promise that those who mourn will be comforted. Yet there is indeed much in the world to mourn and much to wail and cry about. So I say to you today, do it. Mourn. Mourn deeply so the world can change. There's an expression of which I'm guilty of promoting, more out of habit than, than real belief. And that is the expression, it's all good. It's all good. Do you ever say that? Oh, it's all good. Something will happen that is unfortunate or not right, and our response sometimes, because we don't want to cause trouble, is to brush it off and say, it's all good. It's all good. As if to say, don't worry, don't think of the bad, only the positive. And while there's plenty, of course there's plenty to love and celebrate in this world, there is also much to mourn. And to mourn is to bring attention to the love that is both present and missing. Present because to love is to eventually mourn loss. But more so, to mourn means that love somehow along the way has been usurped. When we mourn, we bring attention to suffering, and that's okay. We mourn the senseless killings of late, whether they are mass shootings in almost our backyard or, or senseless beatings. Love has been usurped in those moments. Jesus came to teach and show us that love rises from the ashes, the burnt offerings that only destroy and don't feed. So mourn where we need to mourn. Jesus asks us to invest in God's economy, where it is required of us to simply do this, do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Amen. Thank you.